Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast, an intentionally inane investigation into Norwich City as we entertain the incorrigible international break. This week, we will be mostly reflecting on another fantastic seven points in seven days as the Canaries reassure us that they are all going to be contenders this season. We put the world to rights this evening in the company of Claire Thomas and Dan Brigham. Let's start John Punt with a 1-0 win over Swansea and another man of the match performance for Tim Krull. I think he capped off a really, really fantastic week with that performance. Do you agree? Um, yeah. Do you think he's man of the match though? I think that, you know, there's two or three really good saves. Um, well, maybe not even two or three. I think a couple of them are regulation saves that just looked a little bit better in real time than perhaps they actually were. I mean, Lowe should have really hit the corner with a couple of those. So I, I thought Hanley was really, really good, actually, um, on Saturday. I thought he was majestic in terms of set pieces. He pretty much owned everything. He bossed it. You know, he, he took ownership of any corner or set piece coming in, and it was pretty much his head and his head alone that, that would be clearing the ball. So I really liked him. Tim Krull, yeah, he was okay. I thought um, he did exactly what was required. And he will definitely earn us more points than a lot of keep a lot of other goalkeepers would this season. But I didn't think he was exceptional on Saturday. I just thought he he did what we've we've come to know that he can do. What do you think, um, Claire? How do you think he he played, particularly in the second half? <laughs> Cruel. Um, he yeah, he made some excellent saves, and I did think he kept us in the game definitely because Swansea could easily have put some of them away if it wasn't for him. I think we've come to um, just sort of get used to him being there, and he is an exceptionally good goalkeeper. So maybe we do take him a little bit for granted. But I would have put him as man of the match purely. I think he kept us in uh, with the clean sheet and gave us the win. Really, yeah. You're slightly teasing there because Claire had to do an important job um, <laughs> and actually go to work, so she couldn't watch the watch the, the second half. What about what about you, Dan? Um, do, do you disagree with the um, with the official man of the match of, of Tim Krul and think it should have gone somewhere else? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with John. Actually, um, I thought Krul, I mean Krul was in the right place at the right time. I wouldn't say any of the saves were spectacular, but he's got this really happy knack. I think well, it's not a happy knack. It's just been an excellent goalkeeper of being in the right place that makes potentially difficult saves probably look quite routine. Um, and he's been doing that sort of since the start of, or since halfway through our title-winning season. And I, I also agree with John that Hanley was excellent. Uh, I, I enjoyed the use of the adjective uh, majestic that you used, John, because exactly. normally what you associate uh, Hanley with is like what lumpen, uh, committed, uh, shouty. But majestic <laughs> is used quite rarely about him, isn't it? But you're right, he won everything in the air. And once again, like he was sort of pre-injury in the Premier League season, season he's actually looking... Uh, probably like our best centre back. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It was fair to um, him to be in the Championship team of the week that I saw that he got into, um, and I, I thought that, that Hanley was was absolutely excellent and has been. Um, other than the, a couple of slight hiccups, he he's been probably one of our steadiest eddies um, in terms of what you've got from him. Not not too much fluctuation in form from him so far this season, and I, I would say exactly the same of, of Cruel and Aaron's. They're, they're the other two who I think have been have been really, really steady. Um, Skip had a little bit of, um, of criticism over the last two or three games that maybe he'd um, not kept up the, the really strong form of his first two or three games. And you, you were one of those who um, weren't as impressed recently. I, I, I thought it was a, it was right back on song again on, on Saturday, John. Yeah, I thought, I thought he looked really, really good. I think um, he was perhaps a little bit more isolated, actually. So, so his performance was a bit more impressive because Kenny McLean was, was playing in more advanced 
um, positions up the pitch and he looked like he wanted to to take the game to Swansea a bit or he he wanted to get beyond Pookie actually sometimes to make those runs to to kind of assist the front three. He kind of left him a little bit exposed, but now I, I thought Skip was really, really good. And the thing that I really like about Ollie Skip is um, as much as he's a defensive midfielder, he's generally always got his head up and he's looking to play the ball forward quite quickly. Whereas um, McLean or Rupp or sometimes even Mario Vrancic, if he's, if he's playing in those positions, well, when they're in the defensive midfield slots, will look to go sideways. But now Skip just seems to have that that really nice knack of just being able to get the ball forward quickly. So, no, I was impressed with him on, on Saturday. Um, and I think Max Ahrens, again, I, I can't remember, who, I think it was you that just said it, Tom. Um, he was terrific. Like he was, he's just been so good this season that I think we're now all starting to take that for granted. And he's probably, I, th- I think he's becoming our most important player. Who? Aaron's. Yeah. In terms of a Jenga piece, so we take him out and you think that that's the biggest drop off from him to any of the replacements. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's right. Uh, Claire, over the last few games, do you, can you make a case for anyone other than Aaron's to, to be that, that Jenga piece? I would actually say Pookie. I think, um, although he hasn't been in the best of form, he's certainly coming back into it now. And I think the way he plays is so integral to how we play. His style, the way he kind of hangs off the shoulder and the three balls we're trying to get to him. When he's not there, I think we almost have to change our whole style of play. And although Hugel and Ida are excellent strikers, I just think we play in a very different way when they're playing as opposed to Pookie. So I think if he's missing, it's a pretty massive impact on the rest of the team. I think that that's really, really fair. Um, Dan, who, who's your candidate? Can you rival that, that explanation for, for Aaron's and, and Pukie? Yeah, they've both been excellent. What I enjoy about Pukie, or, or Pukie as Keith Webb kept calling him on commentary on Saturday, <laughs> which was enjoyable, uh, is he's he definitely looks sharper in his runs again. And that got his yeah. first strike against Bristol City was sort of, uh, was old school Pookie, first touch, good, second touch, good, and then just a, like an unexpected take of the chance. Rather than taking another chance, he hits it quite early, which is what he was doing throughout eighteen nineteen. So that's really great to see. And I, there are still moments when he's not being picked out because we're not quite clicking yet as a front four, I don't think. But he is he is making those runs again. Uh, it's yeah, it's an interesting one because that front four actually is quite inconsistent because against Bristol City, for example, Emi Buendia was outstanding, but on... Uh, this Saturday um, against Swansea, he sort of wasn't quite in his rhythm, was he? Um, so, yeah, I'd probably agree that Aaron's, Krull, Hanley and Pookie are probably sort of our most consistent uh, performers at the moment. And, yeah, I agree with uh, yourself, Tom, that uh, Skip is sort of sort of showing signs that... I mean, I'm saying it's early season form, it's still early season, but those first few games when, he's, when we looked like we had a proper player, then he dips and then the last sort of game and a half... I think he's looked like that really excellent player again because I had started to miss Tetty a bit and the sort of mm. defensive reassurance he brought in that role. But in the last yeah game and a half, I'd say Skip's kind of uh, taken, sort of added an extra authority to his game again. Well, he got his first... We, we know that the start of the season can't be too bad because he only got his first few minutes on this Saturday just gone. So, you know, it must have been a fairly mm. good um, season because we haven't gone for, you know, backup plan Captain Tetty coming back in. Um, it was lovely well, to see Tetz coming on, actually, wasn't it? And then take, like, block one with his face within two minutes as well. And it's just like, <laughs> yes, that's what we've been missing. Tetty <laughs> just getting his, fa- in, his face in front of stuff. 
we, we, we just need, we need him to play one more season and have started a league game in, in 10, 10 successive yeah. seasons. Yeah. We, get, we get the big get the big send off. Though apparently these days we do testimonials or special games um, after nine years, so he's probably already done enough to get some form of testimonial. Ten years means went... statue, doesn't it? I think stick yeah, a statue oh. of Tets outside. No one will moan about that. I think we should have um, statues like about twenty of them, just all the way around the ground. Um, it's interesting you mentioned Dan um, the pronunciation, um, the spotlight on Keith's uh, pronunciation, particularly of um, it. Well, I'm, I'm not one hundred percent sure I can even replicate it. The way that he said "Eder" for for Adam Eder or Ida, we've heard Eder, we've heard Ida from lots of different pundits, but he managed to make it about four syllables, um, and it, it seemed to be different every time he said it. It's just, I think he's a he's a certain type of Norfolk where some some words. Um, I mean, I don't think he actually attempted "pueheta" um, at any point. In fact, that was a conversation. Uh, it, we it, did sort of, it did sound like he was advocating for a deer to come onto the pitch as a substitute at one point. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So um, let's let's have a bit of a look back then. So we we are approaching a quarter of the way through. I mean that that little period that we've just had since the international break, none of us would have seen that coming. You know, we we, we hoped that we would be a bit more consistent in performances after the first few games, which is obviously a little bit underwhelming to say the least. But yes, it's still the late late show at times. But but some of the stuff we've been playing in the last few games gives me great um, belief that we are going to be at the very least in pretty much every game this season. And, and when you say that, you're therefore likely to, to to be to be feeling happy at the end of it. So, punt. Looking ahead to the the fixtures beyond the um, the international break, uh, let's say we're going to get a, a couple more bodies back and, and fresher. How do you, who do you see making more of a more of a, a, a stake for their their place? I mean, for example, let, let's look straight at, at left back, where we could have a, a few options there. Where, where only what a week and a half ago we thought we were struggling. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting one, and we we had a couple of people ask us about that in the mailbag. You know, who would you actually play at left back if everyone's fit? And you know, clearly the options are are um, Kintia, Bali Mumba now, and. Um, and Jacob Sorensen, but I think you've you've got to still you know kind of put um, round pegs in round holes. I, I'd be playing Kintyre as as a left back. Um, you know I think it's it's fine to have a stopgap player in there for a few games, but ultimately there's going to come a time when teams start to target the likes of of Sorensen, and I think we did see a little bit of that actually in the Swansea game where um, IU kind of went out to the right and started causing quite a few problems in the second half. So. I, you know, you you play the the players in their proper positions, and, and then you know usually these things should work out. But I think you know you you talked about what we can do, and you know in the next few games, I'm really if we can come through the next two games because we're we're talking about I think it's Middlesbrough next, and then Stoke after that, both of That's whom right. I think they'll be there or thereabouts this season. I mean, if it's a Warnock side, you kind of know what you're going to get, but you also know that they're probably going to be in and around the top six. I think. Stoke, um, they're being really well coached at the moment and they've got a lot of established, experienced players. So I'd, I'd expect them to be in like kind of probably top eight, maybe top six. Um, I actually tip them, weirdly enough, to as a dark horse for the title this season. And I, I kind of stand by that. I think they will, they will probably be a force. Um, so if we can get past those two games, which I believe are both away, Tom, you might be looking at it at the moment. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, certainly they, are, they are both away. They are both so away. Yeah. If we can get through those, maybe with a win or a couple of draws, like kind of unscathed, I think the the players will take loads and loads of confidence from that, and we can really, really kick on. Um, at the moment, 
I mean, with a form team in the division, we should be really, really positive about it. You know, and and actually, the thing that I'd really like to talk about because it's something that um, you probably, you know, were were really critical of of Farker for his substitutions um, over the last three seasons. We've seen a real step change in in Farker's ability to change games from the bench rather than maybe tweak things tactically at half time, which I thought he was quite good at actually um, in the eighteen nineteen season. So. Yeah, it's, it's just amazing. I mean, who saw Ballymumba and Josh Martin being the subs on Saturday? There was absolutely no way. I mean, I looked at it and thought, we need Mario. We'd probably bring Adam Eder in for, you know, a bit of kind of thrust up front. Um, but then he goes and brings on, you know, two pacey kids. And um, and it has the desired effect almost immediately. You know, within a couple of minutes, Ballymumba's making, you know, kind of marauding runs up the left. And, and suddenly we're causing Swansea all sorts of problems. So I think that's maybe... The real change for me since eighteen nineteen and and last season as well is that that we can now change games like kind of around the seventy minute mark really really effectively. What's the difference is this season and the step change that you know John has just said is that he is making quite drastic changes to to approach and 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 trying to create ways for us to cause problems for other teams in a more drastic way to to that which he's done previously. Um, and I think that is what's so refreshing that, yes, our squad depth at this level is so much better than, you know, what he had to deal with, you know, and, and what he had in his armory last last season. Um, but it's it's the variety of options, you know, bringing on certain different players like Barley Mumba, for example, who we, we now know a lot more about than we did um, a few weeks ago. Um, he he clearly offers a very direct running. And, but, you know, you also have to give credit for the coaching on the sideline, you know, leading up to that. So it's not just the substitution, which raised a few eyebrows in the commentary. You know, Chris, I think Chris Gorham said something along the lines of, well, if if, we have, if Norwich go on to win this, then this is a genius, but there's a lot of people scratching their heads at the moment. Um, the uh, You have to give credit also to the fact that Barley Mamba wasn't just bought on he must have been bought on and told, and by the way, I need you to get at that right back. And by the way, I what you, you are being bought on to do this specific job. Um, and so you, you have to praise both the coaching team and also Barley Mumba for sticking to that task because he likewise had IU over on that side and he very nearly got caught out um, mm. very soon after he came on. He did say, mm-hmm. Parker said after the game, didn't he, that he won because IU was getting quite a lot of space. He didn't fancy IU as much of a defense defensive sort of right-minded attacker. So wanted to push IU back a bit with a bit more pace from Mumba. I think that that apparently was the reason why he came on. I think just on that, it'll be really interesting if um, because we're kind of all making the assumption that Farker's making these changes because Norwich aren't necessarily clicking. Um, like you know, they're not kind of in their rhythm yet, and so his there's almost a necessity to make those changes earlier. Whereas you know, if Norwich are are in their rhythm, I could really anticipate him going back to right. I'm going to change it in the last 15, 20 minutes. Um, again, I think, you know, Farker isn't one for, for just, you know, perceived football wisdom that actually you make your subs on 55 minutes or 60 minutes or 65 minutes. Cause that's when you do it. And, you know, that's when it will have maximum impact. I think Farker's quite cute about the fact that, you know, he, he's going to make the subs when he thinks they'll make maximum impact. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't, I really wouldn't be surprised to see him revert to type. But on the flip side of that, it's really nice to see him getting the subs right pretty much all the time at the moment, with, you know, with the exception of Millwall, which is, um, you, you know, they were really well drilled. Um, I th- pretty much every game, I think he's got it spot on so far. So do, do you think he got it wrong against Millwall then? What, what, what would you, do you think he should have done differently? So I think, 
Um, he brought. He made three subs. If I'm recalling this correctly, he made he made three subs all at the same time, and we just looked really disjointed off the back of that. And I think he brought Hugill on. You correct me if I'm wrong here, um, but I'm pretty sure he brought Hugill on, and he just Hugill didn't really look up to it, um, or didn't look. Sorry, that's really unfair to Jordan Hugill. He didn't look like he was in the rhythm of the game quickly enough to be able to affect it as much as perhaps Farker or you know anyone at Norwich City would have wanted. Um, but I think it was making all three at once that that perhaps was the mistake. Whereas if you'd have brought on Mario perhaps on sixty five and then another one on seventy and another one on eighty and just you know kind of incrementally changed the shape or what we were trying to do, it it may have worked a bit better. I think I would. Uh, I think I'm more comfortable with um, that style of trying to drastically change a game and it and it not. I mean, it, it didn't make us any worse. Um, to, to me, that was more of a uh, we are going to make relatively like for like changes i mean you could argue that the the mclean for for placetta one is although actually i think that was you can argue whether or not it was mclean or vranchich that came on for placetta um because you know neither of them are really a number 10 are they um you know i think rupp wasn't looking as 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 promising in that game as he had in the games around it um so it made sense that that he made way um but but no i i didn't i don't i don't remember coming out of that game last tuesday which is only a week ago now I don't remember coming out of that game feeling like, well, we would have won it if it wasn't for, you know, changing it. Um, it, it just seemed like on paper, you would almost think, yeah, Millwall at home, that's a game for, for Hugel, if you see what I mean. Um, but, but actually, you're, you're right. It didn't, we didn't manage to, to ad- adopt, adapt our play to him. And, and that has, that is maybe one thing that, you know, if we're looking for things to um, cement our place in the top three or four, um, over a longer period of time, you've already made the point, Claire, that that Pookie is a is a real asset, and and we need to keep him fit. If he were to pick up a little knock on one of his jaunts off to Finland, do you feel that we are capable of changing the way we play to to play more to Hugo's strengths? Um, I think I'd rather have Ida on instead of Hugo. Um, certainly at the start of the game, I think. Um, with his pace, he's a little bit more alike to Puki rather than Hugo. I think Hugo's someone you'd bring on towards the end of the game when you're trying to maybe change the way you're attacking the game with a bit more sort of um, long ball kind of, you know, just go for it. I think I'd rather have Ida start if Puki was missing, I think. One thing I did want to mention was uh, uh, Placetta, Poheta, uh, Porchetta, his oh, call-up. <laughs> Uh, Poor Poor him, um, <laughs> our, our, yeah, our, our Polish Shemswav. mate. He Shemswav. got oh, yeah, his... nicely. Well done, Claire. Mm, thanks. Practiced. <laughs> so our friend um, who plays for Norwich, he is, um, <laughs> and it seems like it's disrespectful. It's not disrespectful. We're trying. We are trying. Um, he's been called up to the Polish squad uh, for the first time. So, so good for him. I do did want to just bring up that. He seems a bit of an enigma. It's, it's. I'm. I think. Is it fair to say that the jury is still out on on him long term? Have you seen enough, Claire, to to decide if he's going to go the way of Hux or the way of um, Wilchit? Yeah, <laughs> Wilchit. Um, 
exactly you could kind of took the words out of the, my own mouth um the jury is definitely still out on him I've seen glimpses where I think oh yeah you're going to be amazing um and there's been a couple of games where he's really played his part but then he just sort of drift out of the game and you're not really sure what he's actually sort of doing and um I think he's just he's still very young obviously he's got a lot to learn and he's his sort of first venture into English football so I think he definitely promising but yeah I'm not convinced as yet you get you definitely have the um the benefit or the positive with him that he puts himself in the right position um you know he he's always available for the for the ball um, um out wide really good at getting in space uh, it's also clear that some of the you know the rest of his teammates are aware of his pace and that they are comfortable yeah. to, to ping a few balls into the channel for him um but but really I I haven't looked at his specific expected goals Dan but if if we did if we could isolate his expected goals I think he should probably be on two or three at least by now wouldn't you say yeah and even the one he did score whoever that was against now it's just so many games it's impossible to like they all merge one but that when he did score he'd miss hit it style and he got the rebound and scored and he just missed a sitter hadn't he uh, when he put it away but as you say mm. he is getting into those positions he, he's a bit of an enigma actually it's hard to work out He's not really Hernandez because he likes to sort of. Well, he seems to have a better touch and a bit of a more of a vision than Hernandez because he's played a couple of nice sort of clipped balls and square balls when linking up with Puki already. So which Hernandez hasn't really got in his locker. Um, and he's but he's not he's definitely not like a you know a, a Todd Cantwell or a Amy Buendia with, with really kind of silky close control. So he's uh, yeah he's a bit of a hybrid at the moment. He's got the pace, but I think he suddenly likes to drift inside a little bit and sort of pick out passes. Um, I think yeah he's a good which leaves us when Hernandez is back leaves us with a lot of options on the left. We've got Hernandez who's very direct. Uh, we've got Cantwell who's obviously likes to drift inside and play as a number ten essentially. And we've got uh, Puajeta or Puaqueta or however uh, is correct to pronounce it, who sort of is a almost kind of like a hybrid of the of the two of them. So it's it's good to have that sort of strength in depth in that position. It was Preston that he scored against, so not a red team. But um, <laughs> yeah, you've already got my defence in for me, which is games come thick and fast. <laughs> I seem to remember. Was it was Preston? Did we win that? Who knows? Yeah, two two wasn't it, Preston? Yeah. Oh, we drew that one, right? Oh yeah, yeah. The game did the fans were allowed into. Yeah, we, yeah, we won that two two. Yeah. Okay, sounds like my punditry. <laughs> definitely missed a couple of sitters, hasn't he, since then? He, oh, I mean, on Saturday. He should have scored on Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, he should have, should have put us ahead early doors Saturday, and, and then it's, you know, it's a different yeah. game. And yeah, I think he had a good chance against Millwall as well. But that's not necessarily a negative thing, that he keeps finding himself in these positions, You know that he gravitates towards the space and people are finding him. I think it, it will come, and it, it looks like he scored quite a few goals in the Polish top flight as yeah. well, especially the last season. So I think it, it will come. And on, on that, it's kind of really, just as an aside, it's really encouraging to see Buendia seems to be getting into the box more uh, efficiently than he has been doing in the last two seasons. He's definitely making sort of those little overlapping runs that you saw Cantwell make at the start of last season, which Farker has often spoken about he needs to do to sort of up his uh, goal scoring rate. Um, so he's getting into those positions a bit more, Buendia. And if he suddenly starts... Uh, actually adding goals to his armory then well I mean good luck holding on to him in January but um, he'll suddenly become a it's ridiculous he's playing in the championship already but if he starts adding goals to it then it's going to become even more absurd and we're just very lucky to have him at Carrow Road. Do you want some mailbag questions Tom? I would really enjoy that please there were some good ones this week. 
There is some good ones this week. Right, let's see. What should we have? We say that every week. Maybe, maybe we don't need to say, point out every week there's some good ones, but but I, it just always is All a right. pleasant surprise every week. It's like, oh, that's some nice ones. Or it's really nice to point out that there's nice questions every week. That's what I'm saying. We we both say it. We both say it every week. I just it's gonna, it's gonna be very pointed when you don't say it next week, isn't it? I know. Mailbag, like, <laughs> <"Hail> right? <laughs> Equally, it's if, totally if, if they're now shit and it's just me thinking they're really oh okay. Right, let's just ask some questions. So, Aaron Phil, on Twitter says, "Why aren't you kneeling?" <clears throat> yeah, no, <laughs> we're not dealing with that. We've dealt with that before, mate. Um, all right. First up, we have Phil at the Dice Mechanic. Who asks, who wins the inaugural Along Come Norwich Award for the most awkward looking but actually really gifted player? And he's he's put forward Peter Crouch or Steepy. Dan, go on, kick us off with a, a really awkward looking footballer. I suppose this is well awkward, well awkward as in ungainly, I suppose. Yeah. Paolo one chop award. Yeah. Luke Chadwick. He just sort of ran with his yeah. arms like they would only just be like they'd been stuck on the wrong shoulders, mm-hmm. like they were the wrong way around. Uh, and he, he was very ungainly, but although you know he was, well, he was injured a lot, but he was a he was a pretty classy footballer when his legs were working. Maybe what really held him back actually was having his arms on the wrong shoulder. That <laughs> uh, do you remember <laughs> the uh, storied loan spell of Antoine Sibieski? Oh, I was so pleased when we signed him. I thought he, he was going to be it. Right. Okay. Well, that was wrong. He wasn't. Um, obviously, he ran in a very strange way. Um, his arms were too like close to his sides. Didn't feel like he could really get going. And also, there was a chap. Uh, was it Karoma Omar Karoma Omar Karoma? Did he ever play? Did he even uh, ever play? Yeah. Well, I saw him come on a sub at the Rico Arena against Coventry opening day. Um, uh, so I think that must have been the first game of Rhoda's first full season, maybe. Yeah, um, he was definitely a Rhoda signing. And he he ran it, again like someone who was just learning how to play football. Um, so that they were the two names that came to my mind. Um, although he, although the award is kind of awkward, but actually really gifted. So I'm not having it. You can't uh, really have OJ. Darren Eady would always run like he was like permanently dropping his shoulder. Like that and was Will Fox. <laughs> Will oh, Fox Darren had a really weird. Looking. But he was he glided, but he was definitely leaning yeah. to one side all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I agree with that. Well, Claire, Hux what have you got? No neck. Hux had no neck, did he? He looked like he sort of cricked his neck the whole time, but. Mm. I think Tom definitely clip these bits out for the socials, mate. That'll be that'll be good. Yeah, well, I just tag tag Hucks in straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. (laughs) Brilliant. He's quite sensitive about having no neck, actually. Oh, Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Let's have another question. This is Matt Werman on Twitter, and he asks: Would you rather we get promoted, but no fans are allowed in for the rest of the season, or fans are allowed into every game, but we miss out? Claire, kick us off. 100% promoted but we're not going back all season Um, and I think a big factor in that is that it was so recent that we did experience the most incredible championship winning season so we've just had that experience so I could I can do without it this time I think we it's part of the plan that we have to get promoted this season so it's just like let's just get on with it heads down you know just just go for it and i I'd definitely forego going this season as long as we get promoted. Blimey. I mean, I kind of disagree, but for almost the same reason that eighteen nineteen was so good. And I think it, it kind of made me fall in love with, with Norwich properly again. You know, it just felt like every game that you went to at Carrow Road was, was a real event. You know, it, it really felt like it was, it was, you know, kind of you were but I don't fully engaged. So 
It was so incredible that I don't mm. think anything we do this season could emulate that. But even really? if you gave me like 60, 70% of that, like to, just to go back and just to feel that bond between like of manager course, but then and you'd, fans what, you'd or rather not get fans. promoted yeah. though. Yeah, I think I would because really? for me, the, the football isn't necessarily about what league we play in or, you know, who we're playing every week. It's more about going to the game, seeing your mates, oh, totally. you know, that, that bond yeah. between players and fans and manager and fans. And that's what football is for me. So like if, if we're yeah, just going to yeah. sack it off and just go, oh, actually, just so we can get promoted. No, I'm not. I would disagree with you. I see. I see. Yeah, but then logic, you'd go back next season. You'd go back next season, and we'd be in the Premier League. That's yeah, but the I, payoff. I'm not sure I like the Premier League that much. Oh, I don't well, like. I don't it. like that, it either. That, but... that, that's the annoying bit, right? We're going to miss this entire season. We're going to win the title by 30 points, and then we're going <laughs> to we're going to go to the Premier League. Crowds are going to be allowed back in, and we're going to get yeah. we're shit. going to get our asses kicked. Every <laughs> yeah. get Luis Suarez every week. <laughs> Can I ask a question um, on this? I know John that you don't get to go to many away games. Do you, Tom? Uh, well, yeah, I I did do. Um, yeah. I, I just I, I didn't yeah, last. Then you have children come along. Yeah. Well, no, I, I I did. For, I mean, I went I went away plenty in the eighteen nineteen season, and then I decided to take the Premier League season off um, because nice. my uh, my wife went back to work. Um, but then this season, I was due to start going again. So, just if you don't, I just wonder if like the way to kind of look at it and to not be so sad about it is just sort of treat all games like an away game that you wouldn't be going to anyway, and then maybe that will uh, well, that, that, maybe that will help say. your experience. That was what I was going to say, Claire. You you actually phrased it really well, um, and and I I originally looked at it and thought um, I, I'm getting really upset with seeing goals not celebrated properly. Um, so I, I watch, as I think I've said before in the pod, when Norwich are doing well, I will watch Match of the Day. I will watch the EFL show on Quest. Um, whereas when Norwich aren't doing very well, football doesn't really exist um, yeah. outside of Nor- Norwich games. Um, and the more I see of, you know, even, you know, Everton scoring and celebrating in front of an empty set of seats or, or whatever, the, the sadder I get and the angrier I get at, us being robbed of what is such an important part of football going with the boys and going with my dad you know my dad's not getting any younger and you know I'm not even sure if he'll be able to go next season so it's I personally will kind of add one more thing to what what punt said which is because it's so recent I feel like I kind of ticked the um in the same way that I ticked the Wembley box so I wouldn't take a cup run over a league form for the next few years because I did see us lift a trophy at Wembley not that long ago. Um, I, I, I kind of feel like, well, we've, we've had that incredible euphoria and going to away games with Lorne during that season. And, um, you know, that, that was amazing. And yes, we're not going to top it, but it's, it's a new set of heroes. It's a new, it's a new set of narratives. And um, I would, I would happily wait, wait another season to be able to go back. Even if that meant that we ended up playing out for 12th or whatever, um, just because it, I, I'm, I'm getting sadder and sadder the longer football goes on, not feeling like football. Um, however, to go on your side of the things, Claire, with regards to um, um, the, the keeping it behind closed doors and winning the league, I am really enjoying how easy it is to watch um, all of the games. <laughs> so, yeah, there is that. <laughs> that, that is absolutely fantastic that I, that I get to that I get to watch it. Um, and I'm finding iFollow is working really, really well for me. I know a lot of people are struggling with it, but um, I find it, it, it's super. And I was, I was on a, I was on a dog walk uh, during the second half on uh, Saturday, 
and when we when we scored our winner um gave three or four people an absolute fright the other side of the field <laughs> when i when i when i screamed with delight um so yeah it, it gives you a few moments like you say dan it's a bit like you're following you're following from from home when we we're away on a saturday afternoon um, I yeah. actually find it I find it harder though because I find I don't concentrate when it's I'm watching it on the telly I don't concentrate on it as much when I'm actually at the game I'm fully absorbed in what's going on on mm. the pitch you can see the whole game not just what the TV cameras are showing you you're not influenced by what the commentators are telling you you're watching everything um, not just the ball and I'm concentrating solely on that I'm not looking at my phone I'm not popping off for a wee make a cup of coffee I'm just there in the game and I find I'm really missing that watching having to watch on TV I'm just not concentrating on it as much so I I you know yeah I think Ollie Ollie Skip's been good but I don't really know because I haven't watched him with my own eyes playing at Carrow Road you know I'm really struggling with that this season I think that's an interesting point and that was made by uh, Keith on Cocoms on Saturday that um, he was more impressed with Skip having seen him in real life. Like, literally not even the same point, the same player he was talking about in, in comms on Saturday. He said, um, having seen Ollie Skip in real life, I'm I'm really impressed by by how intelligently he's, he's managing the game. And that tallies with what, what we're hearing from the club that you know, they basically, they knew he was good, but they've been pleasantly surprised with just how much the complete package he is. Mm. Should we have another would you rather? Cracking question, that. It is a good question. Well, we've got another good question from our um our friend Andrew Lorne, who asks, and this is oh, yeah. absolutely loaded for you, Tom, so I won't come to you first yet. So it's would you rather that Russ Martin succeeds as MK Don's manager because he is such a nice guy, or that he fails because they are an empty husk of a club? Dan, <laughs> do you want to kick us off on that? <laughs> uh a, I've, I'm over the MK Dons thing. I think it's kind of showboating now when people are still... Well, unless you're a Wimbledon fan, then that's absolutely fine. But as a neutral, I think, you know, it's time to move on a little bit. But, uh, yeah, so Russell Martin, uh, well, I suppose to succeed as a manager, you need a, a ruthless streak. And what maybe doesn't come across uh, in his sort of in his public persona and stuff is that he definitely has a ruthless streak you know that made him captain it made him sort of uh confident enough to sort of uh to talk to uh, his teammates uh, after the Brighton game when we lost 5-0 etc to come out and you know and essentially attack them sort of publicly he's definitely got that ruthless streak so I think he'll make a really good manager actually and apparently MK Dons are playing excellent football um so yeah I'd like I'd like to I'd like to see them doing well um, I and think. they've got Cam Jam. Yeah, and yes, yeah, yeah, they've got Morris. your favourite player, Dan. Yeah. Uh, sorry, and they've got Carl, your... oh yeah, Carlton Morris and Carl Louis Morris, Thompson yeah. and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah some big Thompson, Norwich yeah. connections. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I would not be surprised to see Russell Martin. I mean, I have no idea really whether he'll be good on like the training pitch and stuff, but I do know that he'll have the attention of his of his players. And that he won't be afraid to make difficult decisions, which I guess is are two very important facets to be a, become a good manager. So yeah, I think he'll do well there. Tom, do we even need to ask the, the, for your answer there? Well, I mean, I, I do agree with Dan that um, that it is it's a it's a bit of a fashionable thing to to, to still be offended by that. Um, you know, it was a long time ago that it happened. And uh, if you are a Wimbledon fan, then you will hold a grudge forever and you'll be furious that anyone else 
doesn't still do you think hold they the do now though they've yeah. gone yeah. back to Pearl oh, yeah. Lane they're yeah, in the they same league yeah, well, as a Wimbledon resident, Claire, you'll be able to yes. you'll be able to give us the insight. <laughs> but a lot of I it, think, I think, I is think born they're... out of the FA Cup thing. It, it's the MK Dons are claiming that they won the FA Cup, and AFC Wimbledon are, are continuing to claim, and I think probably a legitimate claim <laughs> that they won the FA Cup in 1988. Was it? I think. Um, so. I can see why they'd still be pissed Six months off. in one cabinet, six months in the other cabinet. <laughs> but where do you put all the pictures of Dave Besant and Laurie Sanchez? <laughs> yeah, look, it's it's a mess and it's like, it's unpleasant. But the um, it's I am able to completely separate the the two kind of eras. You know, it's not. It I think that question, whilst it's there for you know mischief, um, it only really has any value if Russ Martin was the manager of Wimbledon um, and then decided to stick with. MK Dons once they changed, then you could maybe you know tar him with the same brush if you see what I mean. But actually, mm. um, it's it's a former Norwich captain who lifted the aforementioned trophy at Wembley that we were just talking about, uh, and he he'll manage he'll manage Norwich um, in, in the not too distant future. You know, maybe it might take five years, might take ten years, um, but uh, you know, it, I would be I'd be amazed if if that didn't happen because of how highly he's thought of at the club and. As Dan's quite said, th- those who spend time um, around him and, and hear how other people speak of him when he's not around, um, you know, within the game, he is thought of as a as a real leader. Um, so, yeah, I, it's it's always good to see good Norwich people do well. In the same way as when we see ex Norwich players, you know, I still I still want Johnny Housen to be the one that scores every Middlesbrough goal. Lovely Have you seen his hair, hair recently. Johnny this doesn't hair. look like Johnny Housen anymore. He doesn't. And no. like Braddy Johnson. Braddy Johnson is a lovely boy. Um, oh, uh, very, very lovely boy. Don't lovely get boy. me started on Bradley. <laughs> he, he, and he's currently. What was, what was the? What's the table that he's currently top of? It, it's something like complete... loveliness. Yes, this place yeah. passes. <laughs> no, no, it's not. No, it isn't that. It isn't that. It, like statistically, he's like the most efficient midfielder in the championship, or something. I've seen a table of it the other day. It might be that all his passes are four yards, but um, no, but... <laughs> well, he certainly changed his game. If that's the case, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's any ex Norwich player who was who was either there during a good era or you felt some connection with. It doesn't matter where they go; you're, you're going to want them to succeed on every day, other than when when they're against Norwich. And I, but I think on that point, I mean, you've said he's he'll definitely come back and manage Norwich. I'm probably in the camp that I don't ever want him to come back and manage Norwich because I loved Russell Martin as a player, and I think he he caught a lot of shit, which was really unnecessary sometimes, and actually people probably didn't see the stuff that he did behind the scenes and, and people didn't appreciate how good a player he, he was for Norwich City. And I just think, I don't know, I mean, you saw Brian Gunn's legacy was was pretty much torn up for, you know, two, three years until he was kind of reintegrated back into the Norwich oh. City fold. I wouldn't want that for Russell Martin. I really would. And I think it would be really easy for people to start jumping on the bandwagon because he'd kind of copped it towards the end of his spell at the club as well. I think actually that the fact that people knew he was apparently really good behind the scenes almost worked against him because people started mm. to think started thinking that's the only reason he was in the team when his sort of performance levels started to drop a little bit. I tell you what though, if he comes back after you know I don't know taking MK Dons up and having a great season in the championship and actually comes back with a good CV, then I've got no problem with any sort of former Norwich player doing that. It's when there's a clamour for. Uh, ex-players who haven't particularly done well in their managerial career to to come to Carrow Road that I don't quite understand. So when like every time Ian Crook was was linked with a job, essentially <laughs> when there was a vacancy. Yeah, essentially, yeah. <laughs> okay, 
Right, let's have one more question then. So, oh, we've probably answered that one already. Okay, um, hang on. Hold you hard, Buzz. Hold and goals. Hold you hard. Would Tom? Did you say you? Yeah. Would you mind Johnny Housen scoring in our next game then? Because uh, no, honestly, as, I don't think I, I would. As I, I said, mind. as I said, it's when I support them whenever they're not against Norwich. Um, mm. But but that's a prime example. If we're going to win two one, I hope Johnny Housen gets the goal. Um, Absolutely. From forty yards. All right, last question, guys. We've got from <laughs> Ben Stokes on Twitter, and he asks, "Who should play left back once Contea's fit again?" So I've answered this already, but is it Xavi, Sorensen, or Mumba? Claire, go and kick us off. I think it's got to be Xavi because he is actually a left back, isn't he? And the others are not. So we've got uh, Mumba's a right back, isn't he? And Sorensen's actually a midfielder. And although Sorensen has done brilliantly coming in, filling that space. Uh, it's not his natural position. And I think, was it Dan said earlier, the other um, team, Swansea, sort of targeted him a bit um, and we had to change the way we play because of it. So I think, yeah, stick round pegs in round holes and bring Xavi back into that position. Okay. Tom, what do you reckon? Uh, I think that Sorensen's been brilliant um, and I'm a really big fan of his. Um, to play out of position for the first time, breaking your way into the team mm. um, and to be the wrong shaped peg. I, I think he's been a fantastic wrong shaped peg and I'm um, I'm not looking forward to him getting a start in midfield um, because that would you know, assume an injury or a drop, drop of form from someone who's there, if you see what I mean. But I'm feeling very comfortable that we've, we've bought a real asset there and he looks so good on the ball. Um but yeah, I, I think it would be um, it would be Quintia, but I would be I wouldn't be surprised unless Quintia is you know super fit and raring to go. That from a fa- match fitness point of view, and based on what um, Farka tends to do with whoever the hot hand is, wouldn't be surprised to see Mumba start there. Okay, Dan. Well, bear, bear in mind he played a centre midfielder there for what three games in a row. Hmm. Um, yeah. You know, I almost feel like a fullback switching sides is less out of position than a than a, than a centre midfielder. Yeah, yeah. No, I'd agree with that, Dan. Yeah, I'd, I'd, on the first part, I'd agree that Sorensen looks like a really classy player. And for someone his age, he also looks like he's already bringing a bit of like, shit housing, shitheadness to the like little fouls and stuff like that further <laughs> up the pitch. That's a yeah, new he, one, surely. He, he knows how awesome. to foul, which is, uh, which you know, uh, from straight from the Neil Warnock copybook. But yeah, I wouldn't want to see him at left back. I think he inhibits the way we play because obviously we like our fullbacks to push really high. And I'm not. I must. I've been a bit underwhelmed by Kintia. I know he puts decent crosses in, but again, not really how we play. And, and it was such a revelation to to see Mumba come in and essentially replicate what Aaron's does on the right and what Jamal Lewis tended to do on the left. And we scored so many goals in eighteen nineteen from hitting the byline, little pullbacks to find Pookie, um, and bang, uh, we've scored a goal. So although it's you know although he's a right footed. Right back, that never that never really seems to perturb Farker too much when he's choosing where to play his uh, fullback. So I'd probably stick with Mumba. Actually, I mean, this was the massive caveat. I've not really seen him have to defend yet. So who knows yeah. whether he's uh, what's like, what that side of his game is like. But if we want to get on the front foot and attack, then I'd go for the most attack-minded uh, fullback, and I think that's Mumba. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I, what I really liked about Mumba. And perhaps Jamal Lewis didn't do it enough, actually, either in the eighteen nineteen season or the nineteen twenty season. Is he wasn't afraid just to fizz in a low ball, and and actually mm. two or three of them were really really accurate. And the one for the goal, which Buendia then kind of really adeptly took, and then mm. then set up Steeperman, 
was just one that was highly accurate. You know, there was a, a you know bodies around Buendia, but he managed to find him. So it looks like I mean that was on his left foot as well. He's he's definitely got a bit about him that lad. And yeah, I'd be yeah. really excited to see what he brings to our overall style of play. For anyone that doesn't know, we um, we released for pre-order issue four of the Along Come Norwich print fanzine. So that's out now to available available to pre-order on alongcomenorwich.com. Um, I'm really biased. I think it's really, really good. And there's some really brilliant people that, that have written for it, um, which includes Claire and Dan, actually. That's really timely that that they're on this week um, but it's uh, like you yeah, planned yeah. these things well kind of not really at all because um, so, I never really knew when we were going to finish the fanzine this is one that's that's gone on for some time but no, look, it features some some really great writing some really brilliant artwork um, we'd really love it if you bought it you know kind of that that supports what we look to do we're not going to be able, able to put it into retail settings um, this time as well so very often we'd have a couple of city centre locations that um, would stock it. We can't this time for obvious reasons with lockdown and everything. So if people want to get it, it's on the website. We've reduced the price a little bit because you can't, you know, kind of pick it up somewhere. Um, so we thought we'd do it with that in mind. So yes, please order a copy if you so wish. It's time for the Long Come Norwich quiz. You've got a minute to answer six very, very easy questions. This is the easiest set of questions I've ever set, so I'm oh, expecting man. incredible things. Like no, no which means and, that, yeah, and loads of pressure now. I, w- uh, I wilt under pressure. I mean, I'm wilted enough most of the time, but under pressure. Okay, no so uh, Dan Spinach Brigham, uh, we're going to come to <laughs> um, Punt, please, will you get your 60 seconds ready? I'm ready. Your incredibly wilting questions. Am I going first? Sorry, I missed that. You are, you yeah, are, Dan. You're in. You are. Um, because you said about the will thing. It was going to be Claire, but now it's going to be you. Uh, your time Good. starts now. Who placed their home games at Field Mill? Tranmere. Incorrect. Who is Neil Harris currently managing? Cardiff City. Correct. In what year did Mark Bowen play his first game for Norwich? Ooh, good question. Oh, it's 60 seconds this, isn't it? Shit. Um... You can pass. Uh, I mean, guessing it before you do. <laughs> uh, 1991. No. Who was sent off for Birmingham this season against Norwich? Yeah, don't know. Pass. Uh, who was the Norwich City shirt sponsor before Coleman's? <laughs> um, good question. Um, <laughs> pass. Uh, which European country is currently playing its home games at the King Power Stadium? The King Power what? The King Power Stadion. Stadion, is it? Uh, oh, European... Uh, I don't Country. know. Uh, Iceland. No. Uh, who plays their home games at Field Mill? Time. Mm. Time already? So, yes, yeah, sorry, that's been a minute. You can time it back when you listen to the pod, mate. Mm. I mean, um, you've put me out of my misery, so I'm relieved. So, uh, does anyone else know who plays at Field Mill? Field is a clue. Oh, no. No, no Um Mansfield play there. Of um, you got Neil Harris. Field of um, oh, I did get one year... right. Oh, thank God, I've forgotten that. Yeah, you did. Yeah. What year did Mark Bowen first play for Norwich? Nineteen ninety. Eighty-seven, Very strong punt. Very strong. Uh, Clayton was the player. Showing your age there, though, punt, aren't you? Well, that, 
late eighties, early early nineties is is very much my Norwich City kind of specialty. Um, the Norwich City sponsor before Coleman's. I'm not going to give it to you right now because you've each got questions on the sponsor, so I don't want to give any clues to okay, um, no, the other two to keep it fair. Um, does anyone know where who is playing at the King Power Stadion at Dendreef? No idea. That is Belgium's temporary home whilst they rejig oh, there. Well, there you go. You learn something on these podcasts. Uh, yeah, well, I, I I learned that earlier today that it was in a different place. So, I was in, good job. I googled easy it. Questions were they? Uh, Allegedly. Yeah. Really, really. Right, <laughs> sorry, so sorry, sorry. Where is the King Power Stadium? Belgium. The King Power Stadium is Dendreef. Oh my! I was thinking of Leicester. Who was playing at Leicester City? No, no. The European country is currently playing its home games. Yeah, I assumed because Stadium. of COVID or something like that that ah, like, one of the countries had to play at King Power. to Leicester. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I wilted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that, that that one was tricky because King. Which Power is why I queried your pronunciation of stadium. Yeah, no, there are a few. Well, you are fair to to, to query my pronunciation to most things. Um, right, so uh, clear. It is now your turn. Um, we've got six questions in the minute that's coming up. You need one to get to a tiebreak, and it's a good tiebreak this week. Your time starts now. Who plays their home games at Boundary Park? Oldham. Correct. Who is Ma- said with a question mark? Who is Mark Warburton currently managing? In what year did Ian Culverhouse first play for Norwich? 1989. No. Jack Hunt scored against Norwich this season. For which team? <laughs> uh, oh, uh, Bristol City. Correct. Who was the Norwich City shirt sponsor before Asics? Fosters. Correct. Which European country plays its home qualifiers at Laugold's Volure? Beg your pardon? <laughs> Which European country plays its home qualifiers at Laugarda's Valje? Have you had a stroke there? What? Are you, are you sneezing? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no idea. I haven't okay. got a clue. Fine. We'll move on to who is Mark Warburton currently Sorry. managing. Okay. Oh, shame. That's um, a good effort, Claire. It, 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 with, when it comes to pronunciation, it's a sloping pitch. It's fair for both teams. Um <laughs> So, uh, you've got uh, Oldham, even though you said it with a massive exclamation mark. On the <laughs> uh, you've all got a championship manager. Mark Warburton is currently managing QPR. Mm. Ah. Uh, Ian Culverhouse, punt. What year? Uh, 86. No. 85. Uh, 85. Oh, wow. um, I write a book about the history of Norwich City as well. Uh, who was still willing, mate? Shirt sponsor again. You've got that one. That's Foster's. Um, and uh, Laugardal's Voller. Uh, uh, that's where Iceland play. Oh. So Dan's answer was right. Uh, right. So, <laughs> Hunt, you've got a very, very challenging three. Because as yeah, you know, you're the hard, harder. Um, so you've got three to equalise, four to win. And you can time yourself because I trust you. And Cheers. your time starts now who plays their home games at Wadden Road I'm never going to get that pass uh, who is Dean Holden currently managing uh, Bristol City correct uh, in what year did Ian Crook first play for Norwich mm, 84 incorrect uh, Scott pass, pass pass 85 Cashcat scored against Norwich this season for whom does he Wickham. play correct who is the uh, Norwich City shirt sponsor before Aviva um, digital phone company no who plays the home games at Wadden Road don't know pass um, in what year did Ian Crook first play for Norwich 
85. Uh, incorrect. Which European country play their home games at Parken Stadium? Parken Stadium. Uh, pass. In what year did Ian Crook first play for Norwich? 83. No. Uh, who was the pass, Norwich? Pass, 86. Sponsors before of even. No, it doesn't work like that. Yes, it does. That's exactly <laughs> how it works. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> This must be 60 seconds. Time, that is now 60 seconds. Uh, yeah. That's exactly how it works. You go, you can pass as many yeah, times as you not, want. But, yeah, but not when, it's, not when it's a year. Because when it's I'm a year... The, I'm playing the system. Uh, well, you've got three, so I'm going to call that three. Do um, three? Yeah, because yeah, you got three years wrong before you then said 86. 86 is the, is the answer I've got on the card. Um, so you've got uh, uh, Scott Kashkett. Um, see... The reason I put Dean Holden in there is because I completely forgot that he was the manager of Bristol City, even though we only just played him. So um, it surprised me, so I put it in there. Um, Thanks. Uh, does anyone know uh, who plays their home games at Wadden Road? No. no. Otherwise, I'd have said it. Well, yeah, I meant the other two people, obviously. Right. Um, it's Cheltenham. I gave you all League Two grounds, so that's Cheltenham. Cheltenham. Um, it no, does no, also have like a commercial name of like the Smiles Arena or something, but... Um, you got cross with me when I put in a silly arena name last week, John, so I didn't do it again. Um, cool. And Flybee were the shirt sponsors before Aviva. Mm-hmm. Um, and Parkin is where um, Denmark play. So uh, that takes us to a tiebreaker. Uh, so it's between, it should really be between uh, Claire and uh, John, but we'll let you join in as well because you'll only wilt under pressure anyway, Dan. Um, <laughs> so, you, so what is the capacity of the Laugardas Vola in Reykjavik, where Iceland play? Ooh. I'm going to go 12,631. Oh, Bournemouth-esque. No, no 12,500. Okay, Bournemouth-esque. Um, Claire? I'll go 12,600. Oh, my word. Oh. That's gameplay. Uh, as Dan would say, that's that's been playing shitheadedly. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, what about you, John? Um. Is, hang on. So I've seen some pictures of this when they've played, and it looks really, really small. So I'm kind of I'm thinking I'm similar. I'm going to go eleven thousand because I'm kind of in the same ballpark as Brigham. I reckon. Pantos wins it. It's nine thousand eight hundred. Oh, really? It's so an international stadium wow. under ten thousand capacity. If you look at it, it looks like the old place that um, Brighton used to play. You know, the, like the Athletic Amex. team. Yeah, not the MX. No, 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 the, no, no, no. The old, Goldstone no, the old, was the, the old one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the old, old, awful one where you were about six hundred yards from the from the side of the pitch. Um, that brings us to the conclusion of the pod. Um, congratulations, Pump, for uh, winning. And I think really you, you probably should have won earlier with the with the years you were going with for free and Crook. Probably. Um, thank you so much for your time, Claire Bear Thomas. We appreciate you. Uh, give yourself a follow on Twitter. We'll put your details in the tweet when we post this out. Uh, Dan Brigham, thank you very much for your time as well, sir. Um, and it's been very enjoyable uh, touching base virtually with you as well, John Punt. Um, enjoy the international break. In the meantime, mind how you go.